0: Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by His Spirit, will use His Word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemernoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemernoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Well, good morning. If you have a Bible and you would like to follow along with me, you can do so. By turning to Mark chapter 5, we're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 20. You can feel free to follow along in your own Bible. There's a Pew Bible in front of you. It's also printed for you in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along there. Uh, I do want to welcome you uh, to Redeemer this morning. It's so great to have you with us because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. Uh, for instance, uh, you could be at home in sweatpants, resting after your first day back at school after a long spring break. Or you could be, uh, you could be at home in quarantine with those 700 other uh, UT students that I read about in the paper. Or you could be working on your sword skills as you prepare for Mulan, the live-action Mulan that comes out this week. But you're not doing any of those things. Uh, you're with us this morning. We're really glad uh, to have you with us. Thanks for coming. Uh, There really is nothing better that you could do with your time than to worship Jesus, to reflect upon his kingdom, and to think about his call upon your life. And so it's good to have you. Welcome to Redeemer. What is it? Well, Redeemer is a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. And he's entered into the world to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as His people, we gather together to worship Him so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us. And as we rest in that love, we then become a people who love to get together with one another, and we hang out with each other, and we'll watch Mulan together, and we play football together, and we read the Bible together, and we pray together, all to remind each other of the great love that God has for us in Christ. And so as we rest in His love, and as we remind each other of His love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together uh, we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, and to our neighbors who are here in Urban University Knoxville. And then hopefully, in some way, it would spill out into the entire world. That's who we are. We're a people who are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that, we are in the middle of this series on the kingdom of God as seen through the lens of the gospel of Mark, and this morning, what we're going to think about is kingdom deliverance. All right, kingdom deliverance. So, with that in mind, let's look together. Mark chapter five, uh, verses one through uh, twenty. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down, Before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened— And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you pray with me now for the teaching of this his word? Father, we are thankful. Uh, that you are a God who's not silent nor hidden, but a God who delights to make himself known so that we might be made whole. It is our prayer now that as we attend unto your word that you would attend unto us, that we would see lovely things of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I'm not sure if any of you have seen this hip, cool slightly old uh, musical called Les Miserables. Uh, Some of you may know it by its other name, Les Mis. Uh, It's French, you know, for the miserable ones or the wretched ones. But anyway, at the beginning of this uh, musical, there's this really horrific scene where Fantine has her life falling apart before her. She's lost her job. She's lost her child. She's lost her hair, her teeth, her home, and her dignity, And she sings maybe one of the most famous songs that has ever been sung on Broadway. There was a time when men were kind. When their voices were soft and their words inviting. There was a time when love was blind and the world was a song. And the song was exciting. There was a time then it all went wrong. There was a time and it all went wrong. And it seems to me that this song sort of reflects the song of humanity. There was a time when everything was beautiful. There's a time when the world was filled with a beautiful, exciting song, and then something went wrong. And the thing that went wrong wasn't the French Revolution uh, in Les Mis. Uh, The thing that went wrong wasn't uh, March 16th when the coronavirus uh, crashed upon uh, our shores. Uh, Something has been wrong throughout the history of humanity. We've seen it over and over again as we're watching videos of young black men being shot by the police. Uh, We watch it as people take up guns and they shoot people who are protesting or rioting. Uh, We feel it in our own lives, right, when you feel that loneliness that's deep within you, surrounded by friends but extremely lonely. You see it in the disappointments of your life and the confusion about the way you ought to live and who you are in this world. And as we live in this world, it just feels as if there's something not quite right, there's something broken, there's something missing, and we long for this world to be made whole. And this is what the Bible calls longing for shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word that we often translate peace or wholeness. And Shalom is this concept that Cornelius Planting, a theologian, says, is that rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed, all under the ark of God's love. In other, way, in other words, it was the way things were supposed to be. And for centuries, philosophers, theologians, novelists, and artists, even politicians, have described the human predicament and then prescribed a cure, or at least a salve. In a word, they offer us hope. And hope is that reach of our hearts for the cure. It's the reach of our hearts towards what we think will fulfill us, secure us, save us. And not just us, but also the whole world. Humanity is longing for shalom. We are longing for peace. We are longing for wholeness. And that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to make us whole. Jesus came to make us whole. Would you say that with me? Jesus came to make us whole. I want you to remember back uh, to the passage we looked at last week in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Remember the disciples get on this boat with Jesus, and Jesus says, Let us go across to the other side. And while they're on this boat, you'll remember that this huge storm came up out of nowhere. And there they were in the middle of the lake. And they are faced and confronted by the power of nature. And they realize that they can't save themselves. They cannot save themselves from the brutality of the storm. And there they are in their fear. And they are crying out to Jesus who is resting in the boat. They cry out to him, Lord, would you save us? And Jesus arises out of the boat and he says, peace be still And there was this calm that came into the world. And in doing this, Jesus is proving that he has power over all of creation. And he is proving that by his very word, he can speak wholeness into this world. Well, the sea goes calm and the boat floats across to the other side. And here we are in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And this man we later learn is a man named Legion, uh, and he not only had one unclean spirit, but he seems to have had many. We see that in verse nine: "My name is Legion, for we are many." And I think we sort of read this verse in a real sort of banal way. It's just sort of, oh, like he gets out of the boat. This man comes up to him. And it's like, hey, Jesus, nice to meet you. Welcome. My name's Legion. We're glad you're here. Uh, that's probably not what happened. Uh, most likely as he introduces himself, it's from the pits of hell. It's something out of a movie. Like, my name is Legion. We are many. You know, and it's this boast of the armies of darkness that are bowing up against Jesus as he has come across the shore. And Jesus has come to do battle against the kingdom of darkness. As many of you know, I assume a legion was the largest unit in a Roman army. So at full strength, that army could have been like 6,000 soldiers. And so the image we're supposed to understand here is that as Jesus is coming across the lake, he comes across the lake not just to do battle against the forces of nature, but he comes across the lake to do battle with the supernatural. He comes across this lake, which is actually the border between Israel and the Gentile world. And as he comes across into the Gentile world, he comes back to push back the destructive effects of the army of the evil one. And so here's the point. Jesus has come to free this man. To free this man from the armies of darkness. To free this man and to make him whole again. Jesus came to make us whole. Jesus came to make us whole. Say that with me. Jesus came to make us whole. And I want you to notice the the chaos that surrounds this man's life. You see it in verses 2 and 3. He lived among the tombs. Living in the graveyard is not a place of human flourishing. Living in the tombs uh, is the place of human death. I want you to notice in verse 3 and 4, he's a man who's out of control. It says, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him meet legion and he's like a ro- roided out WWE wrestler you know who meets them with his supernatural strength breaking these chains and is uncontrollable and notice that it says this is a, one of the saddest parts of the passage that no one could bind him anymore it seems to me at one time in this man's life his neighbors and his friends his loved ones had come around him to bind him to potentially protect him from himself or protect others from him. But over time, he became so uncontrollable that they gave up. They left him for dead among the tombs. Then notice verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This man had been so corrupted and so dehumanized by the evil one that he spent his nights wandering around the hills and the mountains, wandering around the graveyard, cutting himself with rocks. My guess is that there are portions of this man's life that you would identify with. Maybe many of you feel uh, as if everyone's given up on you. Maybe some of you feel totally alone, Maybe some of you feel that interior of your life that just feels out of control. Some of you might even feel like death is your only friend. If the the statistic that the CDC came out with last week and that Mike reminded us of last week is true, that 30% of men and women between the ages of 18 and 24 have considered suicide over the last five to six months, uh, that means that some of you have been thinking about that. And that means that some of you can identify with this man. You can't sleep at night. You're up wandering the halls of your dorm, walking the streets of the fort. Uh, maybe you're anxious and overwhelmed by the sorrows and the brokenness of this world. Maybe you're haunted by those deep existential questions of, of what if or what went wrong And there's no doubt in my mind that some of you in this room are starving your bodies. There's no doubt in my mind that some of you are inflicting pain upon yourself, whether by uh, bruising yourself in a variety of ways, burning yourself, maybe even cutting yourself, and doing all of that so that you can just feel something different. Or maybe to open up your body so that something could come out, that brokenness and that pain could come out of you. And here's the good news of the kingdom, that that Jesus has come for you. And he has come to make you whole. He's come for you in your brokenness to make you whole. Jesus has come to make us whole. Say that with me. Jesus has come to make us whole. And of course, uh, this begins as he delivers us from the powers of hell. And you see this as Jesus frees this man uh, from these demons And he lets these demons kind of leave the man and then enter into these pigs. And then those pigs run down the cliffs and into the sea. And Mark's showing us this because what he wants us to see is that the evil one always wants to destroy you. The evil one isn't just content to make your life miserable. The evil one always wanted to do to legion what he did to those pigs. And this is scary because the evil one is not someone we should play with. Sin and darkness and evil seek to destroy us and to control us. I mean, often we dabble in it. It's not that big of a deal. We can control it. We can manage it. As Christians, we often just want to manage our sin. But sin and darkness seek to control and manage you. They seek to destroy you. And they want to leave you alone and dead. That's what the evil one does. And this is why the great Puritan John Owen used to always say, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Sin isn't something that we can manage. It must be destroyed. And that's why Jesus came into the world. He came to defeat the evil one and to set us free to set us free from all the spiritual, mental, physical consequences of the effects of the kingdom of darkness. And in the end, what Jesus is wanting to do is to heal him and to make him whole. You see that in verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. I think this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, that they saw him clothed, and in his right mind. That Jesus comes to make us normal once again. He comes to make us whole. He doesn't come over and just say to the demon man, hey demon man, you're forgiven, now go in peace, everything's fine. One of the great things about Jesus is that he does forgive us. But one of the great things about Jesus is that he doesn't just do that. He does so much more. Jesus seeks to make us whole. He wants to clothe us and put us back in our right minds. And I think that this is really important for us to remember and to to draw deeply from that, that Jesus came for the totality of our humanity. He came for us body and soul and life and in death. And when we think about the kingdom of God, the king of the kingdom is concerned about the whole person. And this is why Christians must be concerned for the whole person. We are concerned for the whole person because Jesus is concerned for the whole person. Of course we preach the forgiveness of sins. It's one of the great things that we celebrate and rejoice that our sins are forgiven. And in Jesus, if you believe in him, your sins are forgiven. But we also desire to see people clothed and in their right minds. And therefore, as Christians, we are concerned about systems and structures and the impacts that they have upon society. It's why as Christians, we're concerned about things like mental health, and school shootings and clean water and food deserts. It's why we care about things like philosophy and politics and racism and police shootings and mass incarceration and wellness programs and parenting and painting and economics and education and justice and art and farming and communication. It's why we even care about resting. It's why we care about parties and celebrations, not because we think these things are the answers. But because these are ways that we can participate in the kingdom of God as we engage the entire person. And I think that this is important because many of us have been told all of our lives that if you really want to participate in kingdom work, you've got to be a pastor or a missionary. And being a pastor and being a missionary, that is kingdom work. But so is your vocation. Your job is the primary way in which God has given you to push back against the evil of this world and to bring order into the world and to reflect the kingdom of God. And as God's people fill the world, not only geographically, but vocationally, we begin to participate and expand God's kingdom. As parents, protect their children and teach them of the love of the Father. As lawyers work for justice. As nurses work to bring healing. As mental health providers work towards sobriety. As police officers work to serve and protect. As educators teach uh, about God's beautiful world. As communicators learn to speak clearly and truthfully. As artisans and inventors uh, seek to craft beautiful and useful things. And students this is what your education is all about. Your education is supposed to prepare you for work in God's kingdom. Your education is not just about getting a fancy job and making a lot of money. Your education is not just about getting credentialed uh, so that you can be smart and educated and then have a football team to root for. Through your education... God is preparing you for the work that he has for you to do in the kingdom so that you might play a part in the whole of God's healing of the world. You see, Jesus came to make us whole. Jesus came to make us whole. Would you say that with me? Jesus came to make us whole. And what's amazing to me is that when the townspeople saw the work of Jesus, they were afraid. See this in verse 15 they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them uh, what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. I think this is crazy. I mean, you'd think that this would be the perfect place to insert a celebration and insert a party, uh, but they don't party. They don't celebrate. They want Jesus to leave. And I think it's so sad because Legion had been one of them. It reminds me of that song that's popular right now, She's Somebody's Daughter. Uh, Legion was somebody's son. Legion had grown up with them, had been a playmate with them, and as he grew up, he became the thing of campfire stories, Old Man McGillicuddy or The Hatchet Man or something like that. And when the town sees him uh, clothed, And in his right mind, uh, they're afraid. And they beg him uh, to leave. Why would they do that? I think the text shows us two things. One, they're angry. And two, they're afraid. First, they're angry. You've got to remember that in order to heal the demoniac... Uh, it cost the town 2,000 pigs. And those pigs were their livelihood. And to that town, the pigs were more valuable than the man. The pigs were more valuable than the man. Dale Bruner asks this question, or he says it this way, he says, we're we're supposed to ask whether the herdsmen valued property more than persons economics more than human beings. They're pigs more than the rehabilitation of townspeople. Jesus may have temporarily wiped out their herd, but he has permanently restored a man. To people in the grip of an economic demonism, Christian mission will at first appear unhelpful. Mammonized personalities will not be able to see what happens to people. All they will be able to see is what happens to their business, to their bottom line, and to their pigs. I mean, that is convicting. And here's the point Jesus is showing us that as the king of his kingdom, people are at the center. And God's kingdom is often costly. It may have cost this town their pigs, but in order to make us whole, it cost Jesus his life. And this presents us with a pretty challenging question Are people worth it? Are human beings actually worth it? Are they worth your time? And are they worth your money? Are people at the center of your vocation? Do you value your employees and your clients? And what this text is showing us is that Jesus values people over the bottom line. And I actually think that this is really important because what he's saying then is that he values you. That you actually matter to him and are valuable to him. And I think that this is important because there are many of you here who think that you're worthless but you're not jesus gave his life for you i've been reading this amazing book uh, bill bryson's latest book it's called a body it's called the body a guide for occupants and it's kind of like a history and a science of the body Um, But in the first chapter, he asks this really fun question. He says, how much would it cost to build a human being using Benedict Cumberbatch as its template? And uh, he estimates that with labor, of course, it would cost about $245,000. And then he goes on to estimate that, um, that the basic elements of a human being cost about, would set you back about $168 if you were to ask Jesus how much you're worth he would say you're worth my life I gave myself for you and I've gave my spirit in order to make you human once again you see here's the point Jesus has come Jesus came Right? To make us whole. Jesus came to make us whole. Would you say that with me? Jesus came to make us whole. But the people in the text, they're not only angry, they're also afraid. And I think that they're afraid because if Jesus could do this to legion, what might he then do to us? Are there parts of our life that we want Jesus just to leave us alone? and there are parts that we want Jesus to just sort of let be. And Jesus, says, I came for all of you. I came for you in body and soul and life and in death. And so that makes us ask this deep question, are there places we want him to leave us alone? Maybe it's the way you use your body. Maybe it's an affair maybe it's an addiction maybe it's your desire for control maybe your money your anger the image that you're trying to present maybe it's the way you spend your Friday nights maybe it's your job but these are very important questions for you to ask because when Jesus comes for you he comes for the totality of you not just pieces of you Because he comes to make you whole once again. Jesus came to make us whole. Jesus came to make us whole. Would you say that with me? Jesus came to make us whole. And I want you to notice then that Jesus sends the man home. And I think this might be one of the most surprising parts of the text for me. You see it in verse 18. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But then verse 19, Jesus did not permit him. It's amazing. I mean, Legion literally wanted to be an overseas missionary. And Jesus says, no. Just go home. Be normal. And uh, I'm thinking, Jesus, like, all you got is a boat and 12 guys with you. Like, this guy's got an amazing story. Like, why don't you take him with you? Y'all go to Knoxville, right? Philip Thompson Bowling Stadium, the Graveyard to Glory Tour, and we'll have Ben Bannister open, and it'll be amazing. It'll be full. And Jesus says, no, just go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And I think there's something really beautiful about this. He's just saying, go home, tell your friends what the Lord has done. Just go home, be normal, And tell people about how good God is. Man, I hope the Lord will call some of you overseas, and that'll be beautiful. And Redeemer's gonna support you, and we're gonna celebrate you, and we're gonna be super excited to come visit you. But before he sends you over there, he sends you right here. Before he sends you over there, he sends you home. And that's where Christianity begins. It begins where you are right now. It doesn't begin over there, somewhere in the future. It begins right now, right here. And he's called this community to go home. Like, to go home to Urban and University Knoxville and to point people to the God who makes us whole. And we do that with our words that make sense of our lives. And we do it with our lives that reflect our words about Jesus. For a long time in my ministry, before I came here, uh, my wife and I were really infatuated with New York City. And I would go to New York on a regular basis. We'd take the train up and had a friend who pastors on Park Avenue. And I would preach at his church. And I just love New York, not to be cliche. And uh, it, was just a, it was just, we were infatuated with it. And our real hope was that one day uh, I'd get to pastor a church uh, in the city. One day she was popping some tags at a thrift store and uh, she found this, uh, this shirt. And on, on the shirt uh, written in I heart New York City font was, uh, was Go Heart Your Own City. And um, it's fabulous to see that in New York City. <laughs> like Just go and leave us alone. Um, and, but the shirt really convicted me Because it reminded me of this passage of just like, just go home and be normal where God has sent you. And for our community, that's right here on 17th and Highland as we cultivate this corner. It's right here in the middle of the fort, right here in the middle of Urban and University, Knoxville. And it's here, it's from here that we live and we tell the message of verse 19. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And I want you to notice the response of the people. Everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. And this is the message of the kingdom. It's what the Lord has done for us and how he's had mercy on us. And it seems to me that one of the reasons that our neighbors often fail to marvel is because we're so busy thinking and talking about ourselves. We're so busy thinking and talking about the things we're supposed to do, the things we want to do, the things that we have done, and we think that we're the message. Jesus is the message. We are merely his messengers. And that's what this table is all about. This table is this great reminder and a great proclamation of what the Lord has done for us. And how the Lord has been merciful to us. Right? As we come to this table, the first thing we see is this bread and this wine reminding us that he gave himself. That's what he's done for us. He gave himself. Why did he do that? In order to show mercy to us. He gave himself so that all of our sins would be forgiven. And now I invite you to this table so that he can feed you in order to make you whole again. And so as we come to this table, one of the things you'll do is none of us come up here with anything in our hands. We all come up here empty-handed. We come up here empty-handed because we have nothing. But he is everything. And so he invites us to come. He invites those of us who are broken... Those of us who are hurting, those of us who are lonely, those of us who are lost. He invites those of us who are scared, and also those of us who are kind of scary. He invites those of us who've been oppressed, and those of us who are oppressors. He invites those of you who have been sinned against, and those of you who are sinners. He says, Come to me, and I will make you whole. This table is just a great reminder that Jesus came to make us whole. That Jesus came to make us whole. Would you say that with me? Jesus came to make us whole. Therefore, I invite you to rise.